Good morning, Burning Bush Baptist Church. I hope you were able to laugh at that. I think we could all see some areas uh, that we could identify with. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. So a few years ago, a Christian radio station in Champaign, Illinois, had, a, had their listeners call in. This was right before Mother's Day. And they asked their listeners to share why their moms are their superheroes. And there was some of the kind of run-of-the-mill kind of answers. Uh, Josiah said that um, the reason his mom was a superhero was because every time he had a sleepover, his mom would make chocolate chip pancakes and make them really fast. And he said, I believe my mom's a superhero because she has that kind of power so my friends and I won't be hungry. My favorite one was a boy by the name of JP. Actually, he's probably 10 or 11. And he said that the reason his mom is a superhero is because he was playing soccer out in the front yard with some friends and he accidentally, didn't have shoes on, kicked a tree. His toe split open, his big toe, and it started gushing blood, and he screamed, and he said his mom heard him, came running out of the house, noticed what had happened, put him, put him on her back, piggyback style, and carried him to the emergency room a couple blocks away. Not drove him, carried him. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good superpowers. But he didn't stop there. Apparently, this was not the first time his mom had done that. There was another instance he said he was in the house without shoes on, he said, riding an exercise bike when his foot somehow got jammed into the, the apparatus, the bike. And he started hollering. He said his mom was down in the laundry room. She came running upstairs, figured out how to get his foot out, got it out, put him on her back, and carried him to the emergency room. Twice she carried him. So he said, I guess my mom has super strength, super hearing, and super love. Of course, identifying moms as superheroes is not anything new. Probably most of you have seen the coffee cup that looks something like this. I'm a mom. What's your superpower? And did you even know that there's a game called Super Mom? You can put it on your phone. And the way this game works is you see if you can burp more babies and change more diapers faster than the people that you're competing against. And then you get the title Super Mom. And I know most of your moms are looking at this and going, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I burp babies all my life and I've changed enough diapers and I don't need to have a game to do that. That's just a dumb idea. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not telling you what to do. Seriously, I would think that if there ever is a time that moms are superheroes, it would be right now, over the last couple months. Most of you were already extremely busy being mom, wife, employee, or employer, 
taxicab driver, counselor, home administrator, housekeeper, laundry person, cheerleader, chef, errand runner, and I know the list could go on and on. Then COVID-19 happened and you had some other responsibilities and roles. Suddenly all of you were teachers. And some of you, it's not like you got to specialize in one grade. No, some of you were third grade teachers and fifth grade teachers. And you're maybe a middle school uh, a student in your house. And you have to be their teacher for all those different grades. And of course, you also became your child's full-time playmate because of the shelter-in-place orders. So you got those new responsibilities, and it's not like your old responsibilities went away. And some of you were trying to, to work at home and then also teach your children and assume those other roles that you've always had. Some of you were having to go to work and then also try to figure out how to teach your children. Moms, on behalf of all the dads and all the children, I want to say thank you. You are superheroes. I really don't know how you do it. I really don't. And I know a lot of you don't hear that enough and you feel underappreciated. I know a lot of you feel overwhelmed. You feel emotionally and physically exhausted. Speaking of exhaustion, I love the story about the frazzled mom who sent her four-year-old child to take a nap. She, she just needed him to take a nap. And as the four-year-old is, is headed to his bedroom, he is mumbling to himself, how come every time mom gets tired, I'm the one that has to take the nap? I also read a story about a, a family that had just had their fourth child and all the children were under the age of five. So some friends of theirs sent a playpen over. And a few days later, these friends received a thank you note from the mom that they had sent the playpen to. And in it, she said, this was the perfect gift. Every afternoon, I climb into the playpen and none of my children can get close to me. Then probably my favorite was this one. This mother was just completely worn out from having spent all day with her kids, and uh, a gentleman from a church down the street that she didn't really know, but he was just inviting people to church, so he came by her house to invite her to church, and she asked him to, to step in, and uh, one of the first things he asked her, he says, would you like to have eternal life? And the mom looked at him and said, no, I don't really think I want that. So I know you moms, a lot of you are, are, are just tired. You're just really tired. And you know, I just want to remind you this morning that there's no other job as heartbreaking or as rewarding as motherhood. No other job. And hear me, no other job will have the influence or the impact on this world like parenting does. And you know, everything I'm going to say this morning applies to dads too. It also applies to teens, these principles that we ought to have in our lives, and, and even younger students. But mostly the illustrations are going to have to do with moms, of course. But did you know that 90% of teens still say that parents are the biggest influence in their life? 
That influence can be a godly one or it can be a worldly one. It's kind of up to you, moms and dads. The world these days, with the feminist movement, with society in general, with the economic structures, they place a lot of unrealistic expectations on mothers and on women in general. And when I use the term superhero today, I want you to know that I mean that in the most positive, flattering way. Not in the sense of super mom, that term that came out a, a decade or two ago, and there was all this pressure that everybody had to be a super mom. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that sense that you are superheroes already to your children and your husbands. That you are super awesome because of what you already do. And just keep on doing it. And so I kind of contemplated this week. What from a Bible perspective would be superhero characteristics for a mom? So I was kind of thinking about that throughout the week. And I kind of settled on this superhero mom over in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel. Her name is Hannah. And the first superpower I want you to notice about Hannah is she had the power of prayer. I remember a Mother's Day card I saw once that certainly would have fit well at my house. On the front of the Mother's Day card, it, it, had, it had this picture and all the handwriting was kind of done, you know, like a, like a child writes kind of crooked and uneven spaces and those kind of things. And it was a, a Mother's Day card. And on the front was this little boy and his sneakers were untied and he was pulling a wagon and he had smudges on his face and a little cut. And... On the outside of the card, it says, Mom, I just want you to know that I remember that little prayer that used to say for me every day. And then you open the card up, and it had that prayer. God help me if you ever do that again. And I think lots of moms and dads can identify with that. And if you have boys, you know that you can capitalize all of that. There's no question that a mom's life can be chaotic. Sometimes we are all, not just moms, but all of us, we get too busy, we get too stressed, we get too tired, and we just feel like we don't have time to pray. Yet those are the days that we probably need to be talking to God the most. And when you pray for yourself and you pray for your kids and you pray for others in need, I think a lot of times it changes your perspective. And you can't help but feel God's sense of love for you and your family. And you are reminded of his awesome power and how capable he is of handling your situation. And you begin to feel the joy and the love and the peace that comes from God's Spirit. Just praying every day, Holy Spirit, help me to handle whatever comes down my paths today. That can make all the difference in your life. So let's look at our text a little bit this morning. I'm going to be reading kind of a lengthy part of the story as we begin this morning. But it begins in verse 2. And verse 2 reads, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, 
But Hannah did not. That's important to remember. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord. Her rival, and of course when it mentions rival there, it's talking about Peninnah. Her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you Weeping, why don't you eat? Why, don't, why aren't you downhearted? Why are you downhearted? And then, you can't give the guy a lot of points. I don't think he was a real sensitive kind of fellow, can you? Notice his next question here. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I don't know if he was narcissistic or whatever, but he certainly wasn't very sensitive. We kind of continue on, a couple more verses. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to, I'm sorry, got ahead of myself. It goes on, in deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord mighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give him a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. I want to kind of give you a little context this morning of what is going on. We kind of have four characters here. First of all, you have Eli. He's the priest, and he's kind of a, a, a minor character here. He has a very minor role. And then you have Elkanah, who is the husband, and he has two wives. And apparently, Elkanah is a man of some means. He has some wealth. He has two wives, and because Hannah is mentioned first, most likely she's the first wife. Hannah could not have children. Peninnah was his second wife, and most likely he married her so that he would have an heir for his wealth. In the ancient Near East, in, in any society, there, there's a certain amount of, of, of shame that shouldn't be placed there, but is placed there when, when women can't have children, and certainly that was the case in the ancient Near East. And so if a wife couldn't have children, a husband, even though it wasn't condoned, would oftentimes practice polygamy so that he could have children. We also know from this passage that Peninnah taunted Hannah without mercy. Just constantly taunted and teased her about the fact that she couldn't have children. So what was Hannah's response to Peninnah? Did she get angry? Did she withdraw? We're not told exactly how re she responded emotionally. But we do know there's one thing she did. She prayed. That was her response to pray. Verse 10 again says, In bitterness of soul she wept and prayed so much that Eli thought that she was drunk and chastised her for it. And he asked her, Why, did Han why do you pray like this? So he asked Hannah, Why do you, do you pray so persistently? 
Well, here's the reason. Hannah realized that Elkanah wasn't the source of her children. God was. She understood that every child, and hear me when I say this, every child is a gift from God. Every child conceived in this world is a gift, and it doesn't matter how that conception takes place, is a gift from God. Hannah knew that. She knew the scriptures. She knew the passage that said children are a heritage from the Lord. And she desperately wanted God's gift to her. So she prayed continually. She prayed persistently for a child. You know who also emphasized praying for children? It was Jesus. And Jesus was never a mother but he prayed and demonstrated for us the importance of praying for children. In the Bible, over in the book of Matthew, we read this. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place in his hands on them, and notice what it says next, and pray for them. The disciples rebuked them, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Betty Johnson tells this wonderful story about a time that she was praying with her three-year-old. And she says they, she's tucking him in and they always said prayers at night. And he asked her because the night before she had given him some Superman fruit snacks as he was going to bed. And he asked if there were any more Superman fruit snacks. And she said, no, I'm sorry, they're all gone. And she could tell that her, her little boy was really disappointed, but he didn't cry. And uh, so they begin to pray, and as they begin to pray, as she was listening to him pray, he started pleading urgently with God to give him some Superman snacks. And she said as he was praying, she was taking mental notes. How am I going to teach my child that you just don't pray to God about stuff for yourself and like somehow magically it's going to appear? And she's making mental notes trying to figure out how to do that. And she's wanting him to understand that, you know, you're not praying for stuff. You're praying that God will give him himself. And uh, so finally her, her little man prays and uh, they say amen. And she puts her hand down to push down on the mattress as, as she's starting to get up, get up. And when she does, she finds underneath her hand she feels something and it's a couple of Superman snacks that apparently had laid there unnoticed for the last 24 hours. Of course, they were a little bit stale, but she picked them up. There was two of them. And she said, look, Yeshua, look what I found. And she gave him the stale Superman snacks. And he immediately puts them in his mouth. And he has this great big smile. And he thanks her. And he thanks God. And she said, this is what she says. She said, I think that was the happiest I'd ever seen him. And I believe to this day that God had that whole experience planned out as a way of instilling in my son at an early age that God does hear and answer prayers. Those kind of moments stick with children. Abraham Lincoln once said, 
I remember my mother's prayers, and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all of my life. So when that hurricane of chaos strikes your home, why not gather your children around for a, a brief moment of prayer? And maybe the chaos is not going to subside immediately, but you will be able to deal with it better, and your kids will be blessed with it. So that's the first superhero power, prayer. The second one that we see with Hannah is the power of patience. Superhero moms, I believe, are equipped with the power of patience. The Bible says it in the most simple of ter- simplest of terms in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. It simply says, love is patient. In all the descriptions about love, one of the things it mentions is patience. And being a mom certainly requires some patience. And it provides a unique opportunity to discover the real meaning of patience. You know, the the meaning for patience in the Greek is a very descriptive one. It figuratively means taking a long time to boil. And so what it's saying is the water boils quickly when the flame is high. Water boils slowly when the flame is low. And so the implication in here is patience keeps the flame low. It doesn't mean that patience is naive. It doesn't ignore misbehavior. But it just means it keeps the flame low. It waits, it listens, it asks questions, it's slow to boil. You know, there's a verse we've been referring to a lot this year. It's James chapter 1, verse 19, and it simply says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's kind of a power that, that every superhero needs. Back to our story in verses 11 and 12. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. So the tone, and we know from verse 7 that This teasing had been going on for years. It says, she kept on. So this is a continual thing. This prayer that had had been going on in her life. She just kept on praying because this teasing had been merciless. And so a couple observations here. In verse 11, she made a vow about that if a son was given to her. And that vow is a Nazarite vow. Here's what the Nazarite vow means. It means somebody is totally dedicated to God for life. And there are some signs that, so when somebody sees this person, they'll know that they have taken a Nazarite vow and they've been dedicated to God. Here's some of the signs. Number one, and it's mentioned in this passage, they'll never get a haircut. No razor is ever going to touch their hair. They're also commanded to never touch a dead body. That means a dead animal, or a dead person. And then the third thing is they're to have nothing to do with the grape. They can't eat grapes. They can't drink grape juice. They can't drink wine. They can't have anything to do with the grapes. 
And so she's making this vow. Hannah is, God, if you will give me a son, I'll make sure that he takes the Nazarite vow and I will dedicate him to you. Then we're told in verse 12, she kept on or she continued praying. Then it tells us that Eli the priest, he's watching her. And he sees the way she's acting, and I don't know exactly what she was doing, but she was praying so passionately that it appeared to Eli that she was drunk. That's how passionate she was. Her patience and persistence were obvious. You know, it's not easy to always be patient, though, as a parent, is it? I heard a little story about a a little boy who was misbehaving one night and dad had, had gone to a meeting and mom was trying to get him to sleep and he just kept on asking for a drink of water. You know how they do, just procrastinating. And so finally after the third time that she comes upstairs because he says he needs a drink of water, she said to him, if you ask me one more time for a drink of water, I'm going to paint your porch red. Do you understand me, young man? He nodded his head. She goes back downstairs and just a couple minutes pass by and she hears this little voice. Mommy, when you come upstairs to paint my porch red, could you bring me some water? It takes patience to be a parent, doesn't it? It's not always easy. It doesn't come naturally. But you know, when we stop listening and we shout in anger and we make threats with loud voices... It can crush our children's spirits. And you know what else? It teaches them to act the same way. Thankfully, patience is one of the, the fruit of God's spirit. And so the more that you rely on the power of prayer, the more patience that God can give you. And remember, the Bible says that God is patient with us. Over in the book of Second Peter, God is being patient with you. And if God is being patient with us, Let's make sure that we're being patient with our children. Here's the third superpower that we see here with Hannah. The power of faith. We're told that she continually went with her husband to worship. Hannah had been believing and she had been worshiping with her husband. And I want you to understand, this is not like she just drove down the street to go to the temple or to go to church like we might. It was a three times a year trip to a place called Shiloh. And we're told in this passage that she did that every year until she, or three times a year, until she finally became pregnant and then she didn't do it. But she was faithful in worshiping with her husband. They had that common bond of, of worshiping together. We know, as I mentioned to you earlier, that Elkanah loved Hannah and that he would give her a double portion and a lot of scholars think that his real love was Hannah and that he only gave, and it tells us in Scripture, that he gave meat to Peninnah, that he only did that more out of obligation. So just think about that. You know, we've all heard jokes and stuff about, can you imagine, you know, uh, that kitchen isn't big enough for, for two, two ladies. That's a one rear end kitchen. You've heard terms like that. But can you imagine he had two wives and he loved one more than the other? And the one that he loved the most was the one who didn't have children. And you can kind of figure out why Peninnah was always teasing and always taunting because she knew that Elkanah didn't really love her. He was just a means, so to speak, for her to have children. And so you can just imagine the friction there. 
But Hannah continued to go to the temple and she continued to pray. Verse 18 tells us, Eli answered, and just to give you a little bit of context, what's happened here, he had accused her of being drunk, and she said that she was praying, but she didn't tell what her prayer was. And so then Eli answers her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. So Eli's blessing for her was that her prayer would be answered, even though he had no idea what the prayer was. And Hannah had the faith to believe that. We're told that she left, and the reason that she ate was because she believed that blessing was going to come true. And of course, eating kind of changed her attitude and her countenance. And she left there, no longer downcast, no longer thinking that the world was coming to an end, so to speak, because Eli had told her she was going to have a child. She came to God. She worshipped. She wept. She prayed. She believed. And she went away a different person. Later in the story, we're told that she did have a child. And she named him Samuel. And we're told that she did exactly what she promised God that she would do. She dedicated that young man to God. There's one more superhero characteristic I want to mention this morning. It's actually not found in our passage. But it's certainly biblical. And I think it's a great reminder for us, especially in the the day and time that we are living. It's this. The power of playtime. The power of prayer, the power of patience, the power of faith. And I think we also need to make sure we understand the superhero power of playtime. And I know some of you are thinking, the scripture tells us to play? I want you to listen to a Psalms, chapter 127 of the book of Psalms, the first couple verses. And I think it was written to parents to remind us of some priorities. It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night anxiously working for God gives rest to his loved ones children are a gift from the Lord they are a reward from him I think the point of this verse is is to remind us it's not healthy to work 24 7 rather God wants you to relax a little and enjoy your children because moms and dads you know this they grow up fast And I think sometimes this is such a challenge for moms and dads. And I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a working mom, if you're a single mom. Your job is tough. I know that. And it's a never-ending battle against dirty clothes, uh, dirty dishes, things that just seem to pile up around the house that need to be put up, meals that need to be fixed, Crayon-covered walls. I mean, what parent hasn't walked in at some point and found a child putting the latest decoration trends on a wall with the crayon? I mean, every one of us has had that happen. And then, of course, the last few months, all those teaching responsibilities. God knows moms can't work from early in the morning to late at night. 
And God doesn't want your to-do list to take priority over your family. Someone once said, and it's so true, good moms have dirty dishes, messy kitchens, sticky floors, and happy kids. The point is, it doesn't mean that it's better to live in a messy house. That's not what the passage is saying. It's saying it's better to get a little bit behind on your chores than to miss out playing freeze tag in the backyard with your children or building a Lego mansion on the kitchen table or a tin of sheets in the middle of the living room or helping your child color a picture that's going to hang on the refrigerator with pride for months to come. Did you know there are over 24 million articles on the internet about the importance of parents playing with their children? And it doesn't matter if you're playing Monopoly, having a sock war, building forts with couch cushions or Nerf gun wars. That's the stuff that memories are made of. And it also doesn't matter how old your children are. You know, I understand that this Easter was different for all of us. I mean, it was just kind of different. So at the McNulty household, we had some visitors this Easter. Uh, my oldest daughter and her, uh, my son-in-law were in town, and they have two of my four grandchildren. Uh, my granddaughter, Bonnie's daughter, is seven years old, and then they have a 10-month-old. And so we were just kind of trying to think of some, some creative things to do, and we were thinking about an Easter egg hunt. Now, I also have two other children that still live at home that are adult children. Sean's 18, and Haley is 23. And let me just tell you, they weren't turning somersaults about doing an Easter egg hunt. So we're trying to figure out what is something creative we can do that everybody can kind of participate in. So we finally came up with this idea. We would do an Easter egg hunt at night, and we would do it by flashlight. Well, again, the older kids really weren't too happy about that. But we finally got them excited about it. Now, you might be wondering, well, how did you do that? Well, what motivates people? Money. That's what we did, money. I'm not talking like we put nickels and dimes in the eggs. We put the George Washingtons and the Abe Lincolns and the Alexander Hamiltons in there. And then everybody wanted to do it. You know, my oldest daughter wanted to do it, and my, my uh, son-in-law wanted to do it, and, all, you know, Sean and Haley and the little ones, everybody was about an Easter egg hunt when the Easter eggs had money in it. And we had a terrific time. Someone once said, families that play together stay together. Just a couple of practical things as we kind of wrap up. I just want to talk to our moms again. Moms, remember, you do not have to be a Wonder Woman to be a superhero. Being a superhero mom doesn't mean being a perfect mom. Just let God guide your steps. Rely on prayer, trusting him, asking God to give you patience to endure the tough times. Take some time away from your chores every day from those demands that are always there, and just take the time to smother your children with love and play with them, and they will grow up thinking that you are a superhero mom. Keep it up. 
Do what you are doing. And then the second application this morning is not really for moms. It's for the dads and the kids. Because I know I'm not the only one in this room that could write a paragraph or the only one watching online that could write a paragraph about how their mom is a superhero. So dads and children, write a paragraph to your wife or mom and let them know why they are your superhero. You'll probably be home today. You've got lots of time to do that. And then just one last reminder, dads, make sure that you're helping your wives. There's a lot on them. Don't just help them out on Mother's Day. Try to make that part of life. And then I want to close this morning. I want to say a prayer of blessings on our moms. So would you pray with me? Father, there are so many moms I know that are listening online today. And I thank you for each one of them as well as for my own mom. We want to thank you as parents, as fathers and moms for the best gift that you could possibly give us, sons and daughters. And some of us, it's many sons and many daughters, and Lord, if children are a heritage from you, we've been truly blessed. I pray that each of these moms will know that they are your daughters and that you love them and that they are important to you. And I ask that your Holy Spirit will flow through each of them and that they will have a new importance and a new understanding of what it means to be a mom. It's a difficult time right now. And I know a lot of our moms are just stretched thin. They're just exhausted. And I ask for them when the pressures of society seem too much and they just feel overwhelmed and they just feel like they can't keep doing this at this pace. I just pray that you take those anxieties for them and that they hear your voice that says, be still and know that I am God. I ask too that when the heartache of a a mother's heart and a mother's love doesn't seem to be enough because their child is not turning out the way that they had expected. Father, I just pray for grace and mercy for them. And I just pray that they feel your mighty presence. And I pray a blessing now on each of these moms that are watching today. I pray that that you'll give them a godly heritage that stretches to their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, and for generations and generations to come. And I pray this in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ.